The Astrea Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book One, The Voyage South. Chapter Sixteen, in which the hall burns down. Gar hustled Astrea and Lindy into the kitchen, where a candle in the middle of the table dimly lit two figures, one large, one small. The smaller of the two stood up as they entered. Eva! exclaimed Astrea. I thought women weren't allowed out of the castles, said Lindy. I climbed the wall, said Eva. Alone. She was at the same time amazed at her own daring and proud of her accomplishment. Lindy's left eyebrow rose. Well done, Eva, she said. Carl's got your notebook, Strayer, said Eva. He's been to the learneds and convinced them that you're up to witchcraft, maybe, or what they call unauthorized studies. And if anything, that's worse. One of the women healers was there, and she told another, who told me, and— My notebook? asked Estrella, feeling in the pocket of his tunic. It's right here. He pulled out the little pouch he had made and plucked at its drawstrings. Then he frowned as he withdrew wadded-up paper folded to the shape and thickness of the book that should have been there. I left my tunic hanging on the scaffold when I— They must have come into the hall and stolen it, he continued lamely. Just what was in the book, Estrella? asked Gar, since what you've got there obviously isn't it. I don't know, said Estrella. It was my father's, and I have to find out what it all means. But the learneds didn't seem exactly the right people to ask. Good decision, said Gar. But what? Mostly it was drawings of boats and names, family names, some of them from the village, but some that I didn't understand, and a strange poem that didn't rhyme and made no sense that I could see. The rest of the book was in code, numbers, letters, and little symbols I couldn't read. I thought maybe I'd meet someone who'd be in the book, and then I'd know that my father had been there, and I could find out more about him and what would be the meaning of the little circles, crosses, and numbers beside the names? Gar wetted a finger and outlined a circle with a cross in it, then two short lines side by side, then an arrowhead on the candlelit table. Estrella leaned on the table to watch him. "'Anything like these?' he asked. "'How did you know?' asked Estrella. "'Did you—' "'No, Estrella, I didn't go through your pockets. I just guessed.' Your face, your name, and that clasp on your arm all helped. But I just couldn't believe that you are who you are. Estrella's right hand reached to cover his bracelet, which tingled against his skin. The widow Amy, who had been hovering in the shadows near her stove, came into the circle of light with her lips tightly pursed between her round cheeks. "'Have ye brought some anathema on me and my house?' she demanded of Estrella. "'And you, Gar?' "'Have you been consorting with some young warlock?' Before either could protest, she snatched Estrella's hand and pried his fingers open. From within her voluminous skirts she pulled out a small white flower with star-shaped petals and placed it in his palm. Holding his wrist tightly, she bent over and sniffed cautiously. Then she looked deeply into Estrella's eyes as she folded his fingers tightly around the flower. "'Does it burn, Estrella?' Is your flesh burning? Estrella said nothing, as he stared at the change in the widow Amy. Her eyes narrowed above her full cheeks. Her dimpled face was transformed by the strength of her concentration. She unwrapped his fingers and looked carefully at the crushed flower. Her ample bosom heaved in a great sigh of relief, and she stood on tiptoe to kiss Estrella's cheek, her many chins quivering. I had to know for certain, Estrella she murmured. "'And what was all that about, Amy?' asked Gar. "'He's no warlock, and there's no evil in him,' said the widow Amy. "'Forgive me for doubting, but I had to make sure.' "'Well, uh, I'm glad that's settled,' said Gar, one corner of his mouth twitching. "'Now we can get back to what those learneds might think, since they lack Amy's, hmm, infallible test.' They won't understand your father's book, Estrella, and that makes me worried. Their ignorance wouldn't trouble me for a moment, save for the fact that what they don't comprehend 
they hate and fear. They'll be after you. Not just Strayer, said Eva. All of you. How do you know all this, Eva? Lindy asked. It wasn't rumours. It was Flip. He's one of Carl's followers. He saw me today and he taunted me. He said that next time they would have you, Strayer, right where they wanted. And Gar. And Lindy, too. And then he said he wouldn't get me involved if I... Um, you know. Bestowed gross and physical favours upon him, said Gar with relish. Lindy gave him one of her direct blue-eyed stares, and his half-smile vanished. "'It must have been very frightening for you, my dear,' he said to Eva. "'It made me angry,' said Eva. "'I won't be used as anyone's plaything.' Gar smiled again, this time without irony. "'Good for you,' he said firmly. "'So you climbed the wall and came to tell us. "'Good for you.' "'I'll leave,' said Estrella. "'I'll meet with Carl first and get the book back.' "'Oh, don't disappoint me with such startlingly foolish talk,' said Gar firmly. "'You've been intelligent so far, but that course of action would get us all into more trouble than we can handle, and what's more, you will probably end up dead in a knife-fight. You want to undo what's done, and that's wishful thinking. You, we, have to move on. It's time for a moonlit walk. Lindy and I have done it before.' and I had considerable practice before she met me. First off, I must get a few of my things from the castle. If we're lucky, and the learneds take their usual time to make up their minds, we should be miles away when they decide what they should do next. But the painting, said Estrella, the painting is only a painting. This is a matter of staying alive, said Gar. Besides, you and I have a lot of talking to do, Estrella, about things that are more important than my little jokes on those green-gowned simpletons. I'd like to see your little book, for a start. There's a lot I should have told you. But we were having so much fun, climbing scaffolds and getting all painty. A knock at the door startled them all. I didn't think they would move this quickly, said Garth, as he picked up a bolt of stove wood and went to the door. Still, I've been wrong before. Be prepared to douse that candle mighty quick if I shout. The kitchen door creaked open a handspan, and Gara peered out, the stick of wood held behind his back, and one foot blocking the door from opening any farther. Hey, uncle, let me in. It's me, Damon. I'm alone. Muttering, Gar opened the door and pulled Damon inside. Welcome to the party, he said. What brings you a visiting? You're in danger, Gar. You and Lindy, and especially Estrella. Carl stirred up the learneds, and— They know, said Eva. I told them. You, said Damon, you climbed the wall. I didn't fly, said Eva with asperity. Did you suddenly get a conscience about what you did to Estrella? What I did to Estrella? You know, having that teen-mouthed fellow Seth try to get me to steal the purse with the scholar's money. You wanted it, didn't you? And then Estrella gave it to you. I bet you were really surprised when he put it into your hand. Even in the dim light of the candles, Estrella could see that Eva's face had reddened, but she still held her small chin up. I was surprised, yes. But I had nothing to do with Seth. That was the elders. They put up the money, but my father saw a chance to get it back. For him. Later for that, Gar interrupted. It's fascinating, but right this moment it's not productive. Our first task, as I keep on saying, is to stay both alive and free. Fortunately, Lindy and I have some experience in the art of strategic withdrawal, so... Astrea was still trying to decide whether to believe Eva. So it wasn't your idea, he began, gradually becoming aware that he had condemned her unfairly. Eva, Damon, I'm really sorry that I... It was my father, said Eva. He got me to send you on your way so that he could have you robbed. I was the bait. And the reward. Seth told me while you three were fighting. I told him to go back and say it was lost or spent or whatever. Estrella nodded slowly. Your mother warned me, sort of. She said that there were people who would like to see the whole teen mouth scholar business undone and done differently. Will you all listen? 
Gar demanded urgently. It would be a good idea if Damon and Eva left now, before they hear any more. What you don't know, you don't have to lie about after we've gone. That's right, said Estrella. Especially after what I said about— Hey, now, Estrella, Gar, said Damon, and miss all the fun. Besides, you need someone along who can use a knife for more than carving roast beef. What about you, Eva? You came to help, didn't you? Eva looked down at the table, the candlelight glinting on her swaying pigtails. "'Eva's part in this is over,' said Gar. "'She's warned us, and she needs to get back before she's missed. We haven't the right to ask her to give up all she's found at the castle.' Eva's eyes came up and found Gar's gratefully. She turned to Estrella. "'Is that so terrible, Estrella? Can you understand?' Estrella nodded slowly. He was still castigating himself for leaving his father's book where it could be stolen, and he was amazed that Gar, Lindy, and Damon seemed willing to help him get it back. "'You got me here,' said Eva. "'I'll always be grateful,' she added almost inaudibly. Estrella felt he should say something, but couldn't decide what. "'This is very touching,' said Gar, "'but it's also wasting time.' "'If you really want to help, Damon, you'd better show us all how to climb that foolish wall. I'm not going to leave without some of my gear, and I think if each of the four of us takes a load, I can live without the rest.' He tightened his belt. "'Amy, can you get Nora between the shafts of that wagon of mine?' "'Gah, I have a foretelling, and I don't know if I should—' "'Then don't, Amy. Foretellings that make you nervous shouldn't be shared.' They only make everyone else nervous, too, and I have a strong feeling that everything is going to be wonderful, if you can get Nora ready to go. Can you do it with only one candle for light, my dear? The widow Amy nodded as she dabbed at the moist folds and creases around her eyes. I can do it in the dark, she whispered, as she let herself out of the kitchen door. I believe it, said Gar. She has uncanny abilities in the dark. "'Fortunately, however, the moon is rising. Now then, everybody make sure that no white shirt-tails or petticoats are showing, and if you stub your toes, keep it to yourself. Silence and shadow are our friends. What's more, we have someone who knows the way. You lead, Damon.' Damon's face was barely visible in the candlelight, but Astraea saw his chin rise and knew that the responsibility was eagerly accepted. Right, said Damon, and swallowed once to contain his enthusiasm. First we blow out the candle, and then we open the door. You won't see much at first, but your eyes will adjust to the moonlight, and then you'll all be fine. Watch my hands. I know the green gown I'm wearing makes me almost invisible if you— Good thinking, Damon, said Gar, to cut short the unnecessary lecture. We're with you, he added, as he blew out the candle. The door creaked open— and five figures crept into the darkness, Damon in the lead, Eva close behind him. Estrella saw their heads bend together for a moment, and guessed that they had exchanged a quick kiss. Lindy passed him like a shadow, and then Gar, who was bringing up the rear, gave him a little shove. "'Leave whatever you're thinking alone for now, Estrella,' whispered Gar. "'We'll straighten it out later. Right now you need to concentrate.' Estrella took a deep breath and followed Damon, who led them from shadow to shadow, first across the field to the castle wall, and then along it, southwards. When they had crossed three fields and climbed two low fences in comparative silence, Damon pointed out a deep ditch, in which flowed a small stream that went under the wall through a culvert. "'That's the wet and messy route,' he said quietly. "'We'll take the high and dry one. First we jump the stream.' So saying, he ran and leaped, his gown flapping behind him. One by one the others followed him, their task made possible by the fact that, as Damon had said, their eyes were now accustomed to the light of the rising moon. "'I'll be pounded flat,' said Gar to himself, as he prepared to leap the ditch. "'I swear I can see a road crossing this very stream by a bridge.' He ran, jumped, landed awkwardly and continued his grumble. The lads determined to make life as difficult as possible. Once across the next field, Damon turned right and led them away from the flint-capped wall that was a black shadow on their left. 
rough-sawn boards of a head-high fence halted them. A few stumbling paces, and they were feeling the side of a low shed that leaned against the fence. The creaky structure's roof was scarcely chest-high. "'Up here!' said Damon, as he climbed onto the roof of the shed. "'This isn't the way I came,' said Eva. "'And it isn't the way anyone watches, either,' whispered Damon. "'They don't care how people climb out. "'They wait and grab you on your way back in. "'But they won't catch us. "'We'll go along the other side of this fence. "'There's a beam you can't see from this side. "'Hang on to the top of the fence "'and shuffle along the beam towards the wall. "'When you get there, sit on it and wait for me. "'Stay in the shadow of the big tree that's on the other side.' "'Where are you going?' whispered Lindy. "'Don't fuss. I'll be right behind you.' "'I don't fuss. I merely want to know what we're doing,' said Lindy a trifle louder. "'Come on,' said Eva. "'Damon hasn't got time to explain.' "'He's having too much fun being mysterious,' said Lindy. Damon disappeared into the night at a speed designed to impress his followers, who were too busy following his instructions to notice. First Gar, then Eva, and Lindy, and finally Estrella, climbed onto the roof of the shed, over the top of the fence, and then edged along it with their feet on a crossbar about halfway up the other side, which gained height as it went. Now that the moon had risen, they could see the fields they had crossed, and outlying houses of the town behind, but the fence shadowed them from the neck down. "'With our heads in the moonlight like ducks in a row,' muttered Lindy. Gar reached the wall first. The top of his bald head glinting in the moonlight, he cursed Damon's enthusiasm under his breath. "'How does the lad think we're going to get onto the wall without getting cut to shreds? And what in the name of a four-eyed flounder does he expect us to do when we get there? This is no time for a pier-head leap.' "'I think I can see lumps in the wall that are like steps,' whispered Estrella. "'And handholds at the top, too,' said Lindy. Still muttering, Gar felt in the darkness and found they were right. He was briefly outlined against the moon-bright sky, and then his body was a hump on top of the wall. Hm, not as bad as I thought,' he muttered. "'Someone's broken off the flints. Come aloft!' Moments later, Gar, Lindy, Eva, and Estrella were sitting on the wall, their feet dangling over an unguessable drop into the shadows. Ahead of them, inside the wall, was a pine-tree, its branches sawn short to put them out of reach from the wall. Damon was nowhere to be seen. The night darkened as fast-moving patches of cloud drifted across the moon. Estrella heard a faint creaking from the fence behind him, and turned to see Damon. A gleam of moonlight momentarily lit the end of a plank, wavering dangerously close to Estrella's head, and then Damon was behind him, the board balanced on his shoulder. "'Duck your head!' Damon whispered. They crouched as Damon slid the plank onto the top of the wall, and then extended it towards the tree. Estrella shifted closer to help, but Damon hissed him back. "'It's all a matter of balance,' he said. The end of the plank wandered from side to side, as it disappeared into the deep shadow of the pine-tree with a soft thud. "'Got it,' said Damon. "'Now we cross to the tree, and then going down is as easy as climbing a ladder.' He clambered up to kneel on top of the wall, tested the plank cautiously, and then started across on hands and knees. Halfway across he gestured for the others to follow. Estrella moved first, crossing in a crouch, his fingers feeling ahead of him along the edges of the board. Behind him, on top of the wall, Lindy and Eva conferred quietly about the difficulties posed by their skirts. Overhearing them, Gar started to mutter once more, his words audible to Estrella, who was now invisible against the broad trunk of the pine-tree. "'Here we sit like gulls on the cross-trees while the lad plays the hero.' "'Silly codfish hasn't even thought that the lasses don't wear breeks!' Estrella, one hand sticky with pine-gum, started down the tree. Half of his mind worried with Gar. But beyond this there was another feeling that he was discovering something significant that had nothing to do with painting or the task ahead of them. He could hear a change in Gar's voice, as if a different person was emerging from behind a carefully constructed mask. "'We can manage,' said Lindy, softly. 
As Estrella followed Damon into the darkness of the branches, Eva swung one leg over the plank, clambered onto it, and started to crawl. Lindy got to her knees on top of the wall, hiked her skirts up, and tucked them into her waistband. "'Great smoking rope-ends,' said Gar distinctly. Estrella peered through the pine branches at the narrow plank from wall to tree, just as the moon shone through a gap in the clouds, and he saw what had provoked Gar's exclamation. Her staff held crosswise for balance. Lindy walked across the board as if it were a path. Estrella heard a quick, indrawn breath from the other side of the tree-trunk, and knew that Damon had also been impressed. "'You can be very sure I'm not going to try that,' muttered Gar. "'I'm much too old to dance and skylark along a yard-arm.' When he saw that Gar was crawling carefully across on his hands and knees, Estrella climbed downwards. As Damon had said, the sawn-off stubs of branches were regular as a ladder, though much thicker and rougher. "'Easier than a mast,' said Estrella to himself, and as he heard his own words, became aware that Gar's speech was growing increasingly sailor-like. "'Are you all right, Estrella?' asked Gar's voice softly from the darkness higher up the other side of the tree. "'Damon's so excited he's rowing with only one oar in the water.' Despite the seriousness of the situation, Estrella grinned. "'Time you took command again, Skipper,' he said. "'Just as soon as we're back on the deck, you can bet I will,' growled Gar. There were more rustling noises in the night as five pairs of hands and feet felt for safe holds on the branches, garments got caught on the rough bark, and more than one set of fingers were trodden on by the person above. Eventually they were all on the ground, huddled around the base of the tree. Damon arrived last, having shoved the plank back over the wall before climbing down. "'Now, which way?' asked Lindy, who seemed least affected by the crossing and climb. Damon pointed across the castle grounds, between the trees, to a dimly lit window. "'That's where Eva's going,' he said. "'And I'll have to run, because they won't keep that light on much longer.' In the darkness, first Lindy and then Gar found Eva's hands in a quick farewell. A moment later, Estrella felt her tug his head down towards her face. "'Truly, Estrella, I didn't try to steal the money. Don't forget. Whatever happens. I mean, I'm sorry, but I have to get back. Otherwise it'll all be wasted.' Estrella searched for something to say, and the echo of both their mother's words came back to him. "'We each have our road to walk,' he whispered, his lips close to her hair. "'You do understand,' she said loudly. With a quick squeeze to his hands, Eva turned and ran towards the lighted window. "'She'll be seen in the moonlight,' said Damon. "'What moonlight?' asked Gar. "'There's clouds thickening overhead.' "'I suppose we must be grateful it didn't happen while we were climbing up and down walls and trees. "'Well, anyway, Damon, we're glad you got us here. "'Now, if we could see the hall, we'd be on our way.' "'There, there,' said Damon, pointing urgently. A patch of moonlight scudded across the castle grounds, and briefly lit waving grasses and trees bent before the rising wind. For one brief moment it shone on the hall. It was the farthest building, almost out of sight. They had no sooner glimpsed its dome when the patch of cold light travelled across the grass into the distance and was gone. The candle set in the window for Eva winked out. "'Now we can't see a thing, and there's no path.' said Lindy. How are we supposed to walk a straight line in the dark? We'll have to chance a light, said Damon. I have flint and steel and— Put it away, Damon, said Gar. Now's not the time to tell people where we are. Besides, it wouldn't help us much anyway. He turned to Estrella. Roll up your sleeve and let's see your clasp. Um, bracelet. What in the world for? Lindy asked. "'You're in for a surprise, Lindy,' said Gar. "'Come on, Estrella, do it.' Estrella turned back the sleeve of his tunic. In the darkness a green light shone from his arm, and a white spear of light was at its heart. "'It's never done that before,' said Estrella. "'I mean, not so bright.' "'Either there's a mother ship in range, or you're a powerful wielder,' said Gar. And before anyone could ask what he meant, he took Damon by the cloak— 
and pulled him to stand beside Estrella. Point to where we last saw the hall, Damon. Hold out your arm so Estrella can feel where we have to go. Right. Now, Estrella, think north. Think north? repeated Damon. Whatever do you mean? Stow it, Damon. Estrella understands. Estrella looked down at the glowing green stone, Gar's words still in his ears. The spear of light started to waver and turn, pivoting at its centre. Estrella shook his head in amazement, and the light dimmed. You had it, Estrella, said Gar. Concentrate! Again, Estrella looked down at his arm, almost as if it belonged to somebody else, and the light in the stone grew brighter, until the greenish glow gleamed in its bright metal cage and lit the little hairs on his arm. The spear of white slowly revolved, and then pointed steadily. "'Swing your arm around,' commanded Gar. Estrella did so. The spear of light continued to point in the same direction, no matter how he moved. Power, said Damon in a shaking voice. M mysterious forces that— Don't talk nonsense, Damon, said Gar. The stone is nothing magical. It's witchcraft, Damon's voice rose in fear. Listen, Damon, said Gar. You know those tiny lightnings you sometimes see on a cold, dry night when you pull a woolen tunic over your head? The stone feeds on even smaller lightnings we all have in our bodies and that some of us can control. As Gar spoke, Damon shuddered, his cloak flapping against Estrella in the dark, but his objections ceased. Good. Now put your hand on his shoulder, Damon. Lindy and I will hold on to your cloak. Estrella, point the light in the direction Damon showed you, hold it there, and lead us to the hall. Estrella grasped Gar's meaning, and as he wondered whether he could do it, saw that the spear of light had swung around and now pointed to where they were going. His questions vanished, as he felt himself in control, and he began to lead the way through the darkness. The distance across the grounds would have been nothing to worry about by daylight, but at night each slight hummock and curve of the roughly trimmed field they crossed was an opportunity for them to lose their way, as was every tree or bush that loomed suddenly ahead of them. Using the steadily pointing spear of light to maintain his direction, Estrella was able to work his way around the obstacles, confident that he would still know his course after each minor detour. He divided his attention between the light on his arm and the darkness ahead. When he looked ahead to avoid an obstacle, he had to put a hand over the bracelet to stop its green and white glow from blinding him. As he walked, he saw a picture in his mind's eye of the four of them crossing the darkened field. He was aware of Damon's hand on his shoulder, and he could hear footsteps rustling in the grass behind him. But these were only at the edge of his cot. But these were only at the edge of his awareness. At the centre of his concentration was the bracelet, but he held all that he was seeing, hearing, and feeling in a delicate balance, as if he were carrying water cupped in the palms of his hands. After he had counted several hundred footsteps, he began to worry, lest he had misjudged and they were now walking past the hall. Suddenly his foot struck something solid, and his shoulder rasped against a wall. Greenish light from his bracelet illuminated stones and masonry as he lowered his arm. Damon staggered to a stop as he, too, bumped into the wall. "'We're here,' said Gar, reaching out to touch the uneven surface." Estrella pulled his sleeve down over his bracelet and felt the tingling diminish. Even though the light no longer led the way, his confidence did not ebb, and he continued to lead the others along the edge of the wall until they reached the main door. "'Locked,' said Estrella, testing the handle. "'Let me at it,' said Gar. "'Locks only keep honest men honest.' Estrella moved aside as Gar crouched over the keyhole. Soft, scraping noises were followed by a loud click— and then the big door swung open. Gar stepped inside. "'Come on in,' he said. "'Now we'll chance some light, I think. There's a candle or two with the rest of the gear, if we can get across the hall without crashing into too many things on the way.' Estrella was about to unwrap his bracelet again when he felt a hand on his arm. "'My turn, Estrella,' said Lindy. "'The old-fashioned way, by feel. Follow me close, and bring Damon with you.' 
Estrella stretched out his hand, felt Lindy's smooth hair, and let his fingers slide down to her back. He tugged at Damon's cloak with his other hand, and they started off towards the collection of painting equipment, Lindy leading, her staff tapping ahead of her like a blind man. She found her way past the rows of books, and on to the table where she mixed her paints. Estrella heard her hand feeling about on the table, and at the same time Damon struck a firelighter. A glow appeared in his cupped hands, and then lit his face. Lindy held a candle for him, and then passed the flame on to a brass-bound lantern. The part of the hall where they had worked became dimly visible. Boxes, bags, the scaffolding on which they had climbed, were all patched with dark shadows. The images they had drawn and painted came and went, in and out of the shadows, almost as if they were alive. "'Brushes, knives, and pigments first, said Gar. "'After that the smaller jars of unmixed paint. "'Leave the turps, the washers, the rags, the charcoal, anything we can replace. "'Get it all into those four boxes that fit into the wagon.' Damon stood and watched as the three of them started to collect up tools and paints. Once he had almost filled one box, and had joined Lindy in contributing to the second, Estrella stood and looked upwards. "'What was it going to look like, Gar?' asked Estrella. "'Everything's there but the centre. "'Why don't you stay and finish it?' Gar spoke from above him, on the scaffold, where he had climbed in search of brushes and knives. "'Not without you, Estrella. "'Even if the learneds didn't want my scruffy neck with which to purge their shattering ignorance, "'I couldn't go on without you. "'It was you who gave me the idea.' "'I did?' asked Estrella incredulously. "'You, Estrella, you admired my painting of Chatters, the squirrel. That got me started. That's why you've been painting animals, birds, and plants all around the edges. But you gave me the centre as well, when you noticed the learneds walking about with their eyes on the ground. That's what I was going to put in the middle. A gaggle of foolish learneds staring at their own toes, ignoring the wonder all around them.' It was my idea of a joke, Estrella. I wanted to insult the green-gowned ignoramuses, and even have them like it. Oh, well, perhaps you and I can use the same idea somewhere else. Damon's voice came from the shadows. These boxes look waterproof, are they? Yes, said Lindy. I could pull them through the wet way and save a lot of time, and we'd be able to carry more than we would be able to get over the wall, too. You could drive the wagon quite close. At that moment, fitful moonlight shone through the windows, competing with the lantern. Good idea, Damon, said Gar. Take a couple of them and go now while you can still see. You too, Lindy and Estrella. I'll be right behind you. There's a couple of good brushes up here on the scaffold that I refuse to leave behind. The scaffold squeaked and groaned in the darkness as Gar climbed. Damon shuffled to the door, carrying two boxes, while Astrea and Lindy packed the last two. Because there was so much they would have to abandon, they each checked the floor along the recently painted wall for anything that might be essential. His hand on the inner of the two doors, Astrea paused. "'Lindy, did you find the—' His hesitation saved him. A blow aimed at his head fell across his shoulders, sending him sprawling to the floor. He rolled, twisted, and turned in time to see three small lanterns swinging back and forth as Carl and his henchmen emerged from behind the bookshelves where they had been hiding, their lights concealed by their cloaks. As they advanced, Estrella saw Lindy's hair gleam. Above her head were Carl's distinctive black eyebrows, and a knife glittered at her throat. Lindy squirmed in Carl's grasp, but the knife stayed in position. She gasped as a hot lantern burned her arm. Right, who or whatever you are, said Carl, come out here, all of you, or I'll set fire to this witch's clothes and then slit her throat. Come on out, keeping her hands where we can see them. The other two lanterns came closer as Carl's henchmen closed in. No girls to fight for you this time, eh, stranger? Carl taunted. Let her go, said Estrella. You can fight me if you like, but let her go. And get cracked on the skull by her staff? 
Oh, no. We'll tie her up, and then I'll do you. Don't move if you want her to stay alive. Long enough to see you dead. Astraea stood. In the patchwork of light from the lanterns he glimpsed hands, belts, knives, swaying green cloaks. Huge shadows slid across the walls as two figures moved towards Lindy. Her face was invisible, but her hair still gleamed in the light from Carl's lantern. Estrella knew that though Lindy was held, she was by no means helpless, and he waited for a moment when they could both move. He was aware that Gar was still on the scaffold, and that Damon was somewhere in the dark. Estrella felt the bracelet on his arm tingle, and he subtly relaxed. Time began to slow. Shadows crawled across the walls, and the three men near Lindy seemed to move sluggishly. A hand put one of the lanterns on the floor. Another hand, holding a rope, reached towards Lindy's wrists. Her hair shimmered as she jerked her head up, and someone swore as his hands touched hot metal. Something fell through the air, and a lantern toppled onto its side, briefly lighting Damon's knife as he slashed at one of Lindy's captors, who twisted away, letting go as he did so. Estrella took a quick step forward. His right foot sent the lantern on the floor twirling into the shadows. Another step, and his head rammed into the stomach of Carl's helper, who staggered backwards, gasping for air. Estrella glimpsed Carl's knife as he swung it away from Lindy and towards him. He clutched at the wrist that held it, caught a handful of gown instead, and yanked downwards. His attack loosened Carl's hold on Lindy. She stepped behind Carl, tangled a hand in his hair, and wrenched his head back. Then Estrella lost his grip on Carl as both his arms were pinned to his sides and two hands locked on his chest. Carl still held his knife. "'Got him, Carl!' grunted a rough voice. Estrella heard the quick words as if they had been drawled. He jerked his chin upwards, and the back of his head hit something soft. Swirling one leg behind him, he hooked his foot around his captor's leg, pulled, and crouched. The hands around his chest let go as the man staggered forward, falling over Estrella, who tucked and tumbled onto one shoulder. An upwardly driven knife blade flashed in what light remained. Someone screamed in mingled pain and disbelief. Lindy! Estrella shouted as he rolled clear and back onto his feet in the shadows below a bookcase. At the same moment he heard Lindy's voice yell his own name. Estrella! The last remaining lantern threw a patch of light on a doubled-over green-cloaked body. Carl had stabbed his own partner, and now stood, shocked, the bloody knife in his hand. Estrella took a quick step and grabbed Carl's knife-wrist with both hands. Now he knew where the knife was, he forced it upwards with all his strength, throwing Carl off balance. They fell to the floor in a tangle of arms and legs, and thrashed about indecisively in the dark. Carl was undoubtedly the stronger, but Estrella had more to lose by letting go of his wrist, and neither could gain an advantage. And then it was dark no longer. A tongue of flame licked out from one of the fallen lanterns, and fire slid in a blue trail across the floor to a half-empty jar of turpentine, where it paused, reduced to smoke. Then yellow flames erupted from the pot and leaped up to a handful of rags tucked in a cross-piece of the scaffold. The rags flickered and smoked, then burst into a gout of flame that rose up to the first level of staging, where it found more rags and pots of paint, which burned blue, green, and orange. A fireball swirled up the freshly painted wall to the dome. Blazing liquid fell in drips and streams onto still more paint pots on the floor below. The expanding fire made its own windstorm. It sucked rags and papers up, twirled them around, and threw them into the rising flames. Shadow and light writhed together on the walls, and hot air seared every throat. Flames reached up towards the dome, reddening the smoke that coiled up and around the hall. Estrella's back was on the floor, and both of his hands held the knife above him, silhouetted against the leaping flames. Carl's free hand clutched at Estrella's face. A finger pulled his mouth sideways. He bit it. 
he glimpsed Lindy's staff arcing downwards like a pale fan, but Carl saw it in time and rolled onto one shoulder. Lindy's blow missed, but now Estrella was on top. He lunged forward, crushing his chest into Carl's face, using his weight to force the knife to the floor over Carl's head. He hammered Carl's knuckles on the floor. Carl's other fist pounded at Estrella's ribs. Estrella slammed Carl's hand on the floor again and felt blood-slippery fingers loosen. One more blow, and the knife skittered towards a pool of burning paint. Estrella and Carl reached for it at the same moment. Both shoulder-rolled and snatched, but Estrella was a shade quicker. They came to their feet, facing each other in the fighter's crouch, but Estrella held the knife. Damon was to Estrella's left, his knife a menace. "'Give up, Carl,' said Estrella. "'I've got your knife, and you can't take both of us.' Carl glanced from one blade to the other, as the flames turned them to red tongues of glinting steel. "'That's it. I've had enough,' he gasped. Gar's voice came from above. "'The book, Estrella! Get your book!' Estrella held out his left hand. Carl fumbled in an inner pocket of his gown, pulled out the book, and threw it at Estrella, hoping to distract him. Instead, Estrella picked the missile out of the air and thrust it into his pocket. Grunting a curse, Carl turned and charged for the door, his cloak casting grotesque shadows. "'Estrella! Lindy! Pile up some of the soft stuff!' shouted Gar from above. "'I've got to jump!' They looked up to see Gar silhouetted against flames. Below him, paint pots belched flame, and fire ran along the ropes that secured every cross-piece of the scaffold. Wood twisted and creaked as Gar clutched at a stanchion. He burned his fingers on the smoking wood and let go, cursing. Two pieces of scaffolding, their lashings burned through, swung downwards, spilling fireball paint pots. The whole structure swayed away from the walls towards the space in the centre of the hall. "'Too late!' he shouted. "'I'll try for a bookcase!' For a moment it looked as if Gar would make it. He launched outwards, his hands spread to clutch at the stack of shelves. But as he jumped, the scaffold crumpled behind him. Gar seemed to hang in the air before he fell into the burning wreckage. Lindy was first to reach him, flapping at the fire with her skirt. Estrella and Damon helped her pull away the burning beams. Together they half-dragged, half-carried Gar clear of the scaffold and toppled bookcases. As they bent over him, two doubled-over figures limped slowly past them, heading painfully towards the door. "'They're getting away,' said Damon. "'Let them,' said Estrella. "'We've got to get out of here. The whole building will go up in a moment.' "'He's alive,' said Lindy, crouched over Gar's face. "'We have to get him out of here.' Acrid smoke caught at the back of their throats. Estrella looked for something on which to carry Gar. "'Grab their cloaks, Damon!' he shouted as he ran after the two slowly fleeing men. Estrella pulled the cloak from the first, who was still staggering from Lindy's blow to his head. Damon tugged green material from the other, whose bloody hands clutched at a gash across his stomach. Estrella, Lindy, and Damon paid the two fugitives no further attention. Estrella stripped off his tunic, snatched up an unburned length of scaffold, and thrust it through one armhole. Grasping his idea, Lindy pushed her staff through the other arm. Damon struggled out of his tunic as well, and together they slid Gar onto their improvised stretcher. "'Put on their gowns,' Estrella coughed. Estrella struggled into one, and Damon tossed the other to Lindy. She shrugged it onto her shoulders, and then held its wide sleeves over Gar's head to protect him from the hot ash that swirled around the firelit hall. Estrella and Damon grasped the stretcher, and gasping in the superheated air, rushed Gar out of the hall. They had no sooner gained the outer hall than an explosion belched out the doorway. Damon's gown billowed around him, smoking at the hem. "'It's the turpentine!' gasped Lindy, as they staggered through the second set of doors, which had been blown open by the explosion. Three whole crocks of it! Now they'll never put it out. At first their sole thought was to get away from the blaze behind them. Their initial rush took them out of the building, where they paused, the fire still hot on their backs. Two more explosions buffeted them as hot air belched out of the doors behind. 
Where now? Damon asked from the back of the stretcher. We can't take him the way we came. We'll go out the main gate, said Estrella. We're cloaked like students, and we have a wounded man. The fire's behind us. If we're quick, maybe they won't look twice. Damon looked at Lindy, who nodded. He shrugged, took a stronger grip on his end of the stretcher, and headed for the gate. Astrea led the charge, staggering on the uneven ground, wondering how long his hands would be able to grip the poles. Gar's head lolled from side to side, his breath coming in choking gasps. Damon hesitated as they came to within a stone's throw of the gate, and figures ran towards them. "'Fire at the hall!' yelled Lindy. She took the lead in front of the stretcher and waved the confused students and learneds out of the way. Bent almost double by their load, Estrella and Damon followed her toward the gate, running as fast as they could. A cloaked learned stood in their way, a torch in his hand, shouting confused instructions to put out the fire, to stand out of the way, and to go for help. Lindy charged directly at him. The torch wavered, and the learned gave way. A few paces further, and Lindy almost ran into two men in their shirt-sleeves who were opening the gates. "'Injured man! Injured man!' yelled Estrella, and put on speed. Lindy went first, pushing the gate open far enough for the stretcher-bearers. On the other side, all three of them saw why it had been unlocked. At least six men were pushing and pulling a clumsy water-cart, lighting their way with waving torches. Lindy swerved, leading Damon and Estrella around wildly gesticulating hands and arms that sought to hold them. They kept going. Many panting steps later, Damon faltered. "'Must take a rest,' he gasped. "'Put him down for a moment.' In the mouth of a deserted alley, they eased Gar to the ground. Estrella and Lindy knelt over him, listening for his breathing. "'You three, all right?' Lindy and Estrella nodded. "'Just a scratch,' said Damon proudly. "'You should see the one who gave it to me.' "'Get away to the south,' said Gar, his breath bubbling in his throat as he tried to talk. "'Careful. There's a ship near. Find Stumpy. He'll help. Find the duck, not the sieve. Not... or... on... I can't tell you.' "'Too late. Don't try to talk,' said Lindy. "'We'll get you to the Widow Amy's very soon. "'Keep Esther, 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 clasp, book.' Gar coughed, rolled his head, coughed again, and took a longer breath than before. "'Shush, Gar,' said Lindy. "'Hang on. You'll be all right.' His words came slower, but more coherently, as he got enough control to whisper. I know better, Lindy. My ribs are stuck through my lungs. Listen. Who's that? Damon? Keep your knife hand cool, lad. Now go away. I have to talk to Lindy and Estrella. Estrella and Lindy huddled over Gar, their heads almost touching. Gar reached up and the three of them clasped hands. This is not what I planned, he whispered. Not what I expected at all. We were having so much fun. I had an idea that I'd... But... Now this. At first I thought men of the sea sent you to trick me, Estrella. But you're Estrella's son, all right. He was always the smart one. We should have stuck together. He fumbled with his shirt-sleeve, wheezing as his action compressed his chest. "'What is it, Gar?' Estrella asked. "'Cut my shirt back to the shoulder.' Estrella slid the tip of his knife under the material and slit it from elbow to neck. High up on Gar's arm was a bracelet like his own, save that its stone was dull and lightless. "'Lindy, take my clasp. Estrella's a stone-starter. He'll light it.' Very gently, Lindy eased the bracelet off Gar's arm and clipped it around her own. "'Lindy,' Gar whispered. "'Oh, Lindy, Estrella should never have left. But if he hadn't, the three of us would never—' It was hard to say goodbye. The master trained us. We respected what he 
knew, but we, we hated what he'd become. What's he saying, Lindy? Estrella asked as Gar's voice trailed off. He's, he's, Lindy began, but Gar's voice strengthened. Lindy, stay with Estrella or I'll haunt you. Estrella, I should have told you more. But you're a lucky man. You'll find out for yourself. Lindy's head swayed from side to side, her hair glinting in the moonlight as it swung back and forth across her face. Gar, she's shaking her head. She wants you to— Right, Estrella, said Gar, and wrong, too. Lindy shakes her head when she cries. I'm underneath, getting wet. Look after yourselves. Gar moved his head, coughed again, and lay very still. Lindy bent lower. I'll be pounded flat, Gar whispered, the words catching in his throat. Lindy kissed me. And I can't kiss you back, girl. I... Uh, a gurgling interrupted his words, and he coughed again. I am pounded flat. He choked. Estrella and Lindy realized that he had been trying to laugh. They waited for the rasp of indrawn breath, but it did not come. Gar's hands went limp in their grasp. Lindy pressed her fingers below his ear to feel for a pulse, desperately felt again, and then sobbed. Estrella slowly folded Gar's hands over his shattered chest. He stood up, took off the green gown he had been wearing, and laid it over Gar's body. "'Damon,' he called into the shadows, "'come back. It's over.' When Damon reappeared, he found Estrella holding Lindy in the moonlight as she cried silently against him, all her stoic calm lost. You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, Book One, The Voyage South, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit EstrellaTrilogy.com for more about Australia's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.